0: The revised common lectionary readings for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany are Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 31, Psalm 147, verses 1 through 11 and 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23, and the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 29 through 39. Let's talk first about the Isaiah reading passage. The Prophetic book that we have as Isaiah is actually divided into three sub-books. So there's 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, and 3rd Isaiah. This reading comes out of 2nd Isaiah, and it is a poignant piece of poetry that we have. It invites us to contemplate our relationship to God and God's relationship to humanity. All too often, we fall into one category of the other, either believing that God is distant and remote, that God is all other, or believing that God is so eminent and present that God is also not holy and transcendent. So this passage reminds us that we have to bring the transcendence of God together with the eminence of God. God is here with us and present. That's the ongoing struggle that we have with God, the Father Almighty, and with Jesus Christ as God in human form. One of my favorite commentaries that is written around the Revised Common Lectionary is called Feasting on the Word. And in the comments for the readings on this week, Dr. William J. Carl III, who is president and professor of homiletics at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, has some comments on this passage. And he says that, Isaiah is talking to us about our theological amnesia, that we have selective memory. We remember what we want to. If we are constantly being self-critical, then we remember only the awful things that we have done in our lives. And if we think we are perfect, we only remember the good things that we have done. The same is also true of how we view God. If we are critical and in a bad place, then we begin to say, God never shows up. God's not listening. God's paying no attention. God must not care. On the other hand, if we are focused on our blessings, we remember that God does care. God does bless. God does listen and does hear. The problem with theological amnesia is that we can forget that we have had struggles in our lives and that we made it through them. That there were times when it sounded like God or it felt like God didn't care and wasn't listening, but it turned out that God, in fact, wasn't absent. That there are times of blessing and provision and coming out the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. If we only remember one side or the other, if we only remember the blessing, then a time of challenge can shake us. And if we only remember the times of challenge, then we have no reason to believe God will bless us. And this can cause us to fall apart when a crisis comes. We're invited to remember that both happen in life. Because what happens when we forget the God who is creator, redeemer, sustainer, and friend? Well, we become stressed out. And we become stressed out and worried because. We lack trust in God. We can't trust that we will be okay, that we are all right in the hands of a loving, almighty, wonderful, and powerful God. Dr. Carl says that Isaiah is trying to cure the world's amnesia. He's trying to cure it for the Israelites who are in exile in Babylon, and he's trying to cure it in us as we read these words today. He's reminding us that God has not forgotten you and you should not forget God. The psalm reading is Psalm 147. I find the Psalms to be incredibly meaningful to me in my Christian journey now. They didn't when I was younger. I didn't have the appreciation of poetry that I have now. I These words, as I hear others express their thoughts, their feelings, their questions, their celebrations, it gives words that speak to my soul about my own. But I also find it more difficult to talk about Um, The things I want to share in this podcast with you from the Psalms because there are things that jump out to me more than things to take apart and be analytical about. So I'll just share some of those. Um, In the first portion of this, I'm in verse three He heals the brokenhearted, He binds up their wounds, He determines the number of stars, and gives to all of them their names. Great is our God and abundant in power, his understanding beyond measure. Just in those three verses, we hear an echo of the theme out of Isaiah, that God is both transcendent, out there, way away from us, the creator of all that is, the one who put all the stars in place. And yet he is incredibly imminent and present here with us. He binds up our wounds. He heals our broken hearts. He gathers us together. I am particularly uh, fond of verses 10 and 11. His, des- excuse me, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the speed of the runner, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who respect him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. It reminds me that God is not impressed With power and accomplishment, He is not judging us, grading us, loving us based on what we do, but by how we do it, by a faithful heart, by our relationship to Him. He's not interested in creating us to be impressive. He's interested in creating us to be impressed by the image of His Son on us, to have been had His image impressed upon us. So I enjoy the Psalms, but I just, I find little snippets of them and echoes and things that speak to my soul. The New Testament epistle reading this week is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 23. Earlier verses in chapter 9 were part of last week's Revised Common Lectionary reading. And in that, in that thread that connects to what we're reading this week, we hear both full-time and bivocational ministry affirmed. We hear both married and single ministry states affirmed. And I believe what we see is that there's no one solution, no one stereotype of clergy and of different situations, that there are a variety of situations, the variety of context, and the variety of clergy. Some situations need someone who is working alongside their ministry. Other situations need someone who is fully invested. And some ministers feel called to work, both as a minister and in another um, career. And others feel called to dedicate themselves entirely. Like so much in Christ, there is no one blanket answer for everything. Paul talks about the law of Christ And I don't want us to think that is a new set of laws, the way the Old Testament law had rules, 613 rules that are part of the Jewish law. We don't have a new set of those rules in Christ. As a matter of fact, that is the opposite of the point that Paul keeps trying to make over and over and over. But I believe Paul is referring to the yoke of his commission, the weight of his call to be in ministry, um, his commitment to his witness in Jesus Christ. Paul says that he lives as a Jew to reach Jews, and he lives as a Gentile to reach Gentiles. We want to be careful not to mistake this as hypocrisy. He isn't a Christian some days and a Jew some days and a pagan some days. No, what he's saying is, I don't have standards of behavior that separate me from people. I don't create platforms on which I place myself so that I can look down on people who don't have the same relationship with God that I do. He does what he needs to do to connect with people, to build relationships so that he can win them to the gospel. We might say, um... It's the the evangelistic equivalent of walk a mile in my shoes, Um, living alongside someone, understanding them, not treating them as less than. Nowadays, we have a new push in our evangelistic efforts to get people to invest in communities, not to just do what we call drop-in missions or evangelism, but relationship evangelism, to live your life to expand your realm of influence to other people, to get to know their lives, and then to offer them the love, the hope, the mercy, the grace, the peace of Jesus Christ to meet the answers to the questions that they have about the life that they are living. A dear friend of mine, John Bailey, is a deacon, an ordained deacon in the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, and he's written a book called Mission Rehab, and he talks about how some of the ways we tend to do missions can be very toxic, like we go over to a community that is very different from us, and we're going to help them, but we don't hear their stories. We don't experience their pain. We don't walk a mile in their shoes to understand what it is they really need. Too often, we want to dial it in because that feels easier. We want to give money to that mission project rather than investing in it. We want to serve a meal rather than sitting at the table and eating that meal with them. We want to give them clothes without understanding why they don't have enough clothes or food without understanding why they don't have enough food. And John really encourages us to, to do what Paul is saying here, um, to, to live as they are living, to get to know them, um, to do, it's a really, I think it's a really hokey phrase, but do life alongside of them. And I am a huge fan of the second half of verse 22 and verse 23. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's why you're going to hear me. Talk about how we have to get out of the building. We have to find new ways to do ministry, new ways to reach people. Digital is one way, um, new locations, new venues. In the United Methodist Church, we call it fresh expressions of church. And for Aniston First United Methodist Church, um, Aniston Bar Church at Peerless is one of those things that we do to do all that we can to reach people by all the means that we can. And in our final part of our reading for this fifth Sunday after Epiphany, we have in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 39, don't miss the fact that Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law as he heals her. If you begin to pay attention, you will notice how often Jesus physically touches people. I think maybe that's standing out to me this year because In the COVID world in which we're living, we're avoiding touching people. But we as human beings have an innate need for human touch and for human contact. And in the ancient world, there were people who were untouchable, those who were sick, those who were dying, um, a dead body, those who engaged in certain professions. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they didn't fully understand how disease was spread. And so anyone who had something, it could make them an untouchable. And in what is once again such a great act of love, Jesus dares to touch the untouchables. And what it says to us is that the God of love and grace can touch all the untouchable parts of our own lives. We see Jesus also curing quite a few here. Notice that he cures those with whom he has a a personal relationship. This is Peter's mother-in-law. I've said before, Peter was married. You can't get a mother-in-law without having a wife. So she has she has kind of an end. She has a special connection. Of course, Jesus will come and cure her, but we also see him curing those he doesn't have any kind of special relationship with. He's going to cure those who come to him, and he's going to go to other villages to cure them. Jesus is on the move an awful lot in Mark's gospel. He is in all the gospels, but Mark seems to really place an emphasis on it. Notice in verse 32 that it says that we're on the Sabbath day, because just before this, Jesus has been in the synagogue. And so as he does, they left the synagogue, they went to Peter's house, his mother-in-law's sick, he cures her. And it says that evening, so the same day at sundown, people began to bring him a lot of people. To be cured. The reason sundown is significant is because the Jewish Sabbath went from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So there were restrictions on movement. Um, You weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. That was considered work and you were to rest from your work on the Sabbath. But now that the sun has set, Sabbath is over and people are free to move about again. And so they began seeking Jesus out. I noticed that the next morning, Um, Jesus goes away, verse 35, while it was still dark. So early in the morning, he gets up and he goes out to a deserted place to pray. Here we have Jesus setting an example for us of those times of quiet, those times of prayer, those times of getting alone with God and refilling our soul and our spirit. And then I don't want you to miss the fact that he says to his disciples when they finally find him, let's go to neighboring towns. So that I can proclaim this message there as well, for that's what I came to do. You're going to hear that echoed in the sermon coming Sunday, Sunday, but Jesus engaged in itinerant ministry. He didn't build a building. He didn't say, I have built it, therefore they must come. Too much of Christianity, we've said, "We've, we've built a building. If we build it, they will come. And now that we have built it, let them come here. That isn't the example that Jesus gave us, and I don't believe it's the example He wants for us. He never intended us to limit mission, ministry, love, and grace to a single location. We are to gather the body of Christ, and wherever we go, we take the church, because the church is the body of Christ, the people. We take it with us, and we do ministry wherever we are, wherever we can, and in all the places where it is needed. So for me, the common thread running through these verses, the different four different readings of this week in the Revised Common Lectionary, is the eminence and the care of the Creator God, how God is holy and divine and all-powerful, but also incredibly present with us and caring and listening and came to us in the presence of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus' disciples, we get empowered to carry that on and care for one another as well. Hope you enjoyed this week's readings in the Revised Common Lectionary.